Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wise Men Say, Sun FM Preview Show. With Stradstone Jaguar Land Rover, Houghton Lispring. Visit their temporary sales home at Doxford International Business Park. Welcome along to the Wise Men Say podcast. I'm Stephen Goldsmith. And we don't have Gareth Barker with us tonight. Hooray, I can hear everybody say. But I am joined in the studio by Phil Smith from the Sunderland Echo. Glad to have you with us, Phil. Good evening. I'm also joined by Dave Rose, who's a Sunderland fan, but also from the FSF and heavily involved in the newly formed Red and White Army, of which we'll get an update from you later on in the show. Glad to have you back in again, Dave. Hello. Okay, we all happy? (laughs) <laughs> Ecstatic. That's a great question to ask a Sunderland fan, that isn't it? Oh, I'm getting silence from yeah, you straight away. No, so that's it's, it. Uh, it continues to be uh, well, despite being three-one up at half-time, we we'll con- we'll continue to be in a miserable state of affairs. Uh, not least because I had a couple of quid on three-one win bizarrely, and I uh, was due to win seventy quid. Tried to cash out just after half-time. I was only going to get seven quid back. Um, and uh, yeah, that did, didn't have time to accumulate. You did try and cash out. I looked at cash now, but it was only worth seven quid, and I thought, let's oh. give it another five minutes, but then bang. I think we all thought, didn't we, Phil, at half time, we're going to Sunderland, we were trying to think of creative ways I could throw that game away. Well, I had uh, I had my instincts what was going to happen when Graben scored the penalty, and I could hear Nick Barnes' commentary behind me, and he said, uh, Graben settles the game. And I thought, yeah, that's. Uh, Very dangerous can, thing to say, that, isn't it? I think. Um, yeah, that first five minutes was always going to be so important and as soon as that free kick went in you just had that sinking feeling because from then on in it was one way traffic and you'd have to say it could have been 4-3, 5-3, 6-3 the way the second half went but that's mm. that's just where the 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 confidence of the players is at and you know you could just see them getting deeper and deeper and deeper and lost their composure on the ball and, and, that, and that's what happens when you're on such a such a bad run as they are you just you, you forget how to get over the line you forget how to manage games and frustrating really because a lot of these players have Premier League experience, and you'd think they'd be, you know, some of them have won Premier League titles, and you'd think, you know, they'd be able to do a better job of that. But that's where we are at the moment. How's everybody generally apart from that? Dave, you do a lot of football coaching, don't you? Is that going any better for you? No, <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I have I've been doing football coaching for the past two or three years, and we've had a cracking team. We've won the league twice, runners up last season, and we've been beat every game this season. So I have no escape. From constant football hell at the minute. Sorry, I was just trying to sort your mic out there. I don't have this is the problem we don't have, Gareth. One of us can't just bail the other one out and fill the time in and stuff like that. So it's like a vicious circle for you and yeah, like a nightmare that you can't wake up from. It's yeah, it's there's no respite. Uh, you used to have a, a kids winning team and uh now now they've lost the form. Now nothing to do with my coaching, I must add, it's just individual <laughs> errors. They're not following uh, instructions probably. Yeah, and I've since learned that the hair dryer treatment on twelve year old kids doesn't quite work, so you haven't made any of them cry, have you? Well, uh, well, not 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 this week. <laughs> I'm assuming your kid plays, or you're one of your relatives. He does, or yeah. My my eldest son plays as well. Uh, he's he plays right back, and uh, he's he's, a, he's he's quite feisty. He hasn't quite got my talent and my sweet left foot, 
but uh, yeah. Well, I'd hope not playing right back. <laughs> that, that would be bad coaching. Plenty of Sunderland managers have done that in the past. It would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> does he get it harder than the other kids get it? As he, well? uh, he would. He would argue that <laughs> yes, he does. I, I would. I would just say that it's, uh, I, I know what makes him tick. So uh, yeah, I do shout a bit too much from the sidelines at, at Danny. I think. Have you found the grounds this season, Phil Brentford? You mentioned there talking about the game. Uh, I, I guess not set up in the same way as the Premier League press boxes and stuff for. Where you get a lot of media coverage, don't you? Yeah, it was a little bit tight for me and Richard and at uh, Griffin Park, to be fair. But I, I enjoy it, to be fair. I think it's one of the, the best things about the Championship is that you have that um, variety that you don't really get in the Premier League. Different types of grounds, different type of clubs. Um, I, I love Brentford, actually. They're, they're a fantastic club, the way they're set up and what they've achieved over the last few years. And Obviously, you've kind of stuck the neck on the line and are doing things a bit differently. And I, I have a lot of respect for them for that. And so I think it's a great place to go, apart from Sunderland, perhaps. Yeah, you do miss that, don't you, Dave? I mean, you deal with different fans from different clubs all the time, and that is something you do. I don't know if it's whenever Sunderland do really bad, you start getting sentimental and thinking about Roker Park and stuff like that, but that is something you miss because there's 20,000 fans in the stadium at the moment, and it's just hideous, isn't it? Oh, it's awful. You know, 20,000 in Roker Park, it was full, um, and it's at the minute going to the games, it just feels like a non event. Uh, and it's not just—it's not just the football, is it? At the minute, it just feels like it. I mean, it—that's the catalyst for everything, obviously. But it just feels like it's more than that at the moment. And uh, going to the games, turning up—it's—it doesn't even feel like a. Well, it feels like an early round League Cup game, but it's—it's it's almost not even like that anymore. There's just just people don't seem no, to care. No, because you used to think you'd win those games. Well, yeah, you just you'd, thought... You'd have, like, you'd have, like, Colchester in the Cup or something at home, and you think, well, at least we'll win today, and you normally would. But Yeah, like, it's it's is it is it the start of a run or whatever? So I guess, in some ways, the the away, the away games are a, a bit of a uh, break from that, and from that, that miserable walk-up to the stadium of light that it's become. Um, I didn't get to Brentford, actually, but I, I wish I had. I, I've got a good mate from Football Supporters Federation, Billy the Bee, who, uh, who was telling us he was welcoming a lot of Sunderland fans in the in one of the? He came on pubs. the show last week. He was on the show. Ah, he's great, he's great Billy. Like, yeah. That shows Dave doesn't listen to shows, Phil, doesn't he? Just last week's I missed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Um, Phil, the fan fest this week. You went there. You caught up with um, Simon Grayson, Martin Bain. How how was Simon? Firstly, um, I think he's quite he's quite an upbeat kind of character. I, I can't say I've ever really done it. Um, an interview with him post or pre-match when he's been particularly downbeat. Um, even after sort of the Ipswich game, he was he was quite bullish, and he and he and he still was at, at this stage. I think he's probably aware of the pressure he's under coming into into these two home games. Um, obviously, he came in with a a desire to kind of change the culture at Sunderland to make it a kind of an upbeat feel again about the place. But you know, there's very few managers can survive the kind of run that Sunderland are on at the moment, and I I, I think he's very much aware of that. Speaking to Martin Bain, um, when I did ask people if they had any opinions or questions to, for the studio night, we did get a couple who who fired straight in and asked the question whether the media are asking Martin Bain enough. Do you think that's fair? Anything you want to say about that? Um, well, I can only speak for myself, to be fair. You know, the press is not a, like a monolithic block. You know, we all ask our own questions yeah. and we all have our approach to things. Um, I think I think with Martin, the, the main sort of question going into the, the interview that we all had was about the managerial situation and the position in the table um, Martin was quite evasive in terms of the manager's future um, he was given an, an awful lot of opportunities by each one of us um, repeatedly to, to clarify how what he thought of the managerial situation and kind of 
skirted around the issue in terms of the, the the place on the table. He was he was quite bullish, not thinking about relegation, um, which I think personally, I, you know, I sort of heard that and and thought mm, I'm a little, probably a little bit more concerned than you are, and I think a lot of the fans probably felt the same. Is that way. not just a front from him though to say he's not thinking about it? He's got to be thinking about it, hasn't he? Uh, well, you would you would hope so. Uh, it reminded me straight away of uh, Premier Passions, you know, when there was the whole thing of uh, Murray looking at changing the taps and yeah. and uh, what was it relegation isn't on the agenda. And I, I hate that sort of crack. It's uh, you know everybody else can see it. We're, we're in the bottom three. All right, mm. it's early days, but you cannot say you haven't. Uh, all right, you, you, you're not going to admit that you're planning for relegation or anything like that. But you've got to say you fear it. You, you it's it's a concern, and that's what's driving you to get out of there. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, Martin's in the position now where he's been at the club for um, 15, 16 months um, and he, he needs results because this current manager is ultimately his choice. Um, David Moyes, he, he stood by for a long time, didn't work for the club. He came in with these these two pillars that he wanted to bring in, financial stability and football stability. On the financial side, relegation doesn't help you bring... Um, financial stability because of the the broadcast money that you lose. So on that front, it's a bit of a ropey, um, a ropey record. He's got some good money for good players. I watched Patrick Van Aanholt the other night, and you think forty million for him was good value. So he's made some progress on there. In terms of the football side of things, you know, I don't think you could say any progress has been made since he came in. And ultimately, Simon Grayson was his choice. So Simon's struggles reflect on him. And, Again, in the transfer market, it's the same story. So he's in a position he just needs he needs his players, his signings, and his manager to deliver results. So getting back to the bit about where people might be asking about the tone of a or the the theme of a question you might be asking Martin Vane. You you say that on several occasions people give him the chance to sort of throw his weight fully behind Simon Grayson and, and, and you sort of avoided avoided the issue. Would you say like how how long did you get with him? Do you think anybody could have forced that question um, more? I think. I think there was um, five of us do, doing the interview. I would say we probably had three, four minutes each with them in terms of our own questions. Um, it's difficult, really, to say about forcing the issue because um, he, he was asked over and over again. Ultimately, if the, the chief executive gives you quite a passive answer, then that in itself is, is quite revealing, I would say. Um, in terms of the, the wider picture of the club and in terms of his... <coughs> Um, in terms of his role, I would say personally, I feel like I've written quite a lot about the the challenges in terms of recruitment, his decisions with managers, and the signings they've made this summer. You know, if if if, if generally there's a feeling that that hasn't been strong enough and has gone far enough, then you know, obviously I I hear that you you, you take it on board. Um, Do you has there been requests from from as you say you can't you can't speak on behalf of anybody else? Has there been requests from the Echo or from yourself to to try and speak to Ellis Shorten any? Any capacity? It's something that's been mentioned. I think um, something that's been asked, but you know, Ellis um, obviously is taking a step back from the club. In a lot of ways, he's handed the keys to the castle over to Martin Bain, if you like. Um, and so, I think you would say that primarily the person accountable for the decisions made at the football club on a day-to-day basis are Martin is Martin Bain, um, which I guess is why he's become the front for that as well. I think just finally on this, um, I know we're going to get onto the red and white army soon, Dave. Where hopefully. That group can can ask some of these questions if they get the opportunity. Um, I think the fact that Ellis Short has been so, or, you know, him or Bain has been so vague about the failed takeover and and why they thought that was in the best interest for the club. I know they keep mentioning that they're covering overheads, but it's 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 not the most um, 
transparent of messages that's getting put across, is it? No, it's not. And, and listen, it's not It's not enough for the chief executive and the owner of the football club just to speak to the local press. You know, clearly there needs to be a, a, a better a better dialogue with fans that reaches that reaches a further audience because the club would say that they spend a lot of time with supporter groups and what have you. But clearly that's not getting out to the fans and the, the, the nature of those discussions and the answers that are given isn't getting out to the wider fan base who don't have the privilege of going to these meetings. So it's it's not enough just to, to speak through us. I fully accept that and fully understand people's frustrations when they read things and they have secondary questions and they say, well, OK, but what about this? What about that? Um, you know, if, from my position, all I can do is sort of, you know, take that feedback on for the next time, really. Um, yeah. Right. So we want a massive spread across the Sunderland Echo and disgrace and shout out and stuff like that. That's on, <laughs> that's on the way, Phil. You heard it here first. <laughs> right, we're going to speak about the Red and White Army, but first, hopefully, we are going to speak to our Bristol City guest. Wise Men Say, Sun FM Preview Show. With Stradstone Jaguar Land Rover, Houghton Lispring. Visit their temporary sales home at Doxford International Business Park. Okay, we are joined on the phone now by Mike Adams, who is a Bristol City supporter. Mike, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our guests and our listeners by telling them all a little bit about yourself and what you do. Hello, I'm Mike Adams. I'm in the uh, Supporters Club and Trust. I think that's how you got in touch with me. I've been supporting City since 1976. Um, I actually came to Bristol in 1959, and I regret not supporting them at that time because I would have seen all the Atio years. So unfortunately I missed those, but I've seen some up and down time since, of course. What's been the biggest up for you and what's been the biggest down? Uh, I think the biggest up was two years ago in many ways, you know, winning the league, which for us is big, plus winning the Freight Rover Trophy, as it used to be called. Um, That's got to be it, the double. It might not sound brilliant, but it's it's good for us. No, absolutely. And what about the worst? Well, <laughs> got to be when we were bottom of the fourth division, hasn't it? I can remember going to Wimbledon near the end of the season. I don't go to many away matches, actually, but I remember going to that. We were both near the bottom, struggling away, and we, we managed a nil-nil draw. And I can tell you, those times were absolutely terrible. But luckily we had Terry Cooper come in as manager and he did a fantastic job. And uh, we managed to get out of that league. I think we were fourth and fourth fourth were promoted. OK, so get to the current day then. Having a decent season, Bristol City. I, I was looking at the uh, TV fixtures on, on Sky on Tuesday um, and had Man United on, of course they did. And um, they had Man United on a Swansea, which was a League Cup game. I don't think anybody wanted to watch. And I looked down the fixtures and I thought, Bristol City Crystal Palace is probably the fixture I would like yeah. to watch the most out of those games. Now, when I saw the highlights and I saw the result, I'm glad I didn't watch it because I'm already worried about the weekend and that would have worried <laughs> me even more. <laughs> well, things went right, you see. Um, strangely enough, West Ham... Uh, sorry, not West Ham. Uh, scored first, Crystal Palace scored first, I thought, you know, we would be in trouble. To be quite frank, Palace started the brighter, they had very quick forwards, and they had quite a few shots and got the goal. Somehow, we are resilient in a way that we haven't been in the past, and we came back. Uh, Matty Taylor, who came to us from Bristol Rovers last season, He's got a fantastic sense of anticipation. 
and he anticipated this poor back header from the uh, their defender and smashed it in the net very quick, down on it, on his chest, down, volleyed it straight in the net. So that equalised, and then afterwards, um, Juric came on, which was uh, a fantastic thing in itself. He's been injured some time, and he scored a great goal. So that was 2-1 up. But um, they were great goals because they put us ahead. But afterwards, we had two really fantastic goals. Joe Bryan got the ball right on the left corner of the box and hammered it in off the bar. And then O'Dowder, Callum O'Dowder, who's, I don't think, he, he may have scored for City, but not at home, certainly not this season. He received uh, a ball, a bad clearance, Again, chested it down, smashed the ball right from outside the area. And 4-1, you know, you couldn't believe it, really. More to come the weekend, I'm sure. I, I'm going to come to Phil in the studio here. Phil, when you covered Cardiff, did you catch Bristol? Or was, were they, was that when they were coming up from League One? Still? Yeah, um, I saw Bristol City play Cardiff, which was actually Neil Warnock's first game in charge. Um, at which point Bristol City, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but were pretty much on the brink of the playoffs as they are now. And after that, they went on a, a, a terrible run for about six or seven months and ended up uh, right down at the bottom towards the end of the season. Um, but they had a very similar start last year to what they've had this. It looked very bright, good young manager, a lot of pace in the side, but it kind of fell away after that game against Cardiff, actually. That's it's just... right. It's a bit different, though, this year, because um, I believe last season we were playing what we might call weaker teams at the beginning. Uh, whereas this season, we've we've played really strong teams, you know, Aston Villa... Derby and so on and as you say we've got the same number of points but the real the real position is we've got cover for every single position on the field um, it does sometimes muck you up as it did against Leeds when we had so many changes we had five changes three enforced that's too many really but we've, we've got a very strong squad this season and that's the difference we, do, we don't expect to you know for that for that to happen this season tell us about the manager because he was getting a bit stick last year wasn't he he was getting terrible stick from people that um didn't understand what he was trying to do really they don't listen a lot of the time a lot of the fans do they what you're trying to do um i realized what he was trying to do and i think others did as well but uh, i've got to admit we were rather quiet because there was so much angry stuff coming over the airwaves but um Luckily, he, uh, he he turned it around, and we had quite a good finish, as you know. And it's gone on from there. We built from there, and all the players, well, a lot of players that were um, inexperienced last year, now they've got the experience of a year in the championship, and they're playing with confidence. So Simon Grayson up here is is getting a lot of stick from fans now. So. Would would you sort of suggest the club should stick with him and fans should listen to him and get behind him, maybe? Um, I I always say that, actually, because it's so silly. You know, you're bound to have up and down times, and unless you can see something radically wrong that is genuinely wrong, it's always difficult to get out of a bad run. You just you, It's a mental thing as much as a physical thing on the pitch, isn't it? It certainly is. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the art? the supporters organisation you're involved with because it's going to it's going to segue us on nicely to to another uh, section of the show 
Right. Well, we, we started in 2005 as the Supporters Trust, um, like other trusts in uh, uh, the UK, we're affiliated to Supporters Direct. Um, we've since uh, amalgamated with the Supporters Club, which has been going much longer in its present uh, form since 1949. There were previous ones in earlier guises, but uh, we've amalgamated. So there's one fans organization now, and uh, we've really made a, a, a big difference, I think, for the club. We we have regular meetings, you know, with the club, but also we've produced uh, John Attio's statue. I don't know whether you know about that. I can't uh, say I do. John Attio, our greatest uh, player in modern times. So we've produced that for the stadium. I think that's uplifted the whole place. Mm, it's interesting. We're going to get a statue, but so it's, all, all joking aside. So, what, what when you have these um, meetings with the club and you and you minutes the meeting and everything, what kind of thing wasn't happening before you set this up? And and, I, and, and what a lot what, of things have been cured that were problems with ticketing and relations with the fans. Uh, it's interesting now that, that, that when we go to meetings, you can know you've got to find things to talk about. We want to talk about the bigger issues as far as possible. But all the things involving ticketing have been more or less solved uh, by uh, working with the club. You Actually, it's with Bristol Sport. I don't know whether you realise that, but um, Bristol Sport do the commercial side of Bristol City and also Bristol Rugby and a few other teams in Bristol. You come across these guys, Dave? Yeah, at, uh, hi Mike. I'm uh, I'm actually work for the Football Supporters Federation. Yeah, I should have uh, do, I should have done all that, but never mind. You go and do it. Yeah. So it's great to hear. Well, you. Uh, it's great you, to hear. You, you might know John Dart. I, I know John. One of our members. Do you know him? I know John very well. Yeah, he's a yes, great crusader for the Safe Standing campaign. Safe Standing, as you know. That's right. Yeah. Uh, which is now coming into Shrewsbury, and we're hoping is going to mushroom out across Britain as soon as possible. Yeah, and it's it's issues like that, um, sort of broader campaigns like that, which are national campaigns as well as local, and I think also, as you suggested, issues around ticketing. Uh, it could be issues around stewarding, and it could also yeah. be the governance of the club. But it's important that you've got uh, representatives who are credible uh, for That's your right. supporters' organisation, and you start to get the little wins, and then hopefully you get the bigger wins as well, don't you? Yes. Yeah, we we actually did well with the survey of fans. You know, are you aware that we tried to uh, move to a new stadium uh, just up the road in Ashton Vale? Yeah. And we surveyed fans for that. What did they? What sort of stadium did they want? Uh, it didn't come to fruition, but uh, that's the way we made contact with the club, really, because they could see our worth. And uh, a lot of the ideas have gone into the redevelopment of Ashton Gate as it is now. Okay, well, we're going to get quickly, before we let you go, we're going to move back onto the football. Are you confident for this weekend? I can't see any reason why you wouldn't be. Sunderland have this horrendous record at home. We, it's, it was last December, last time we won a game at home. Is that right, December? Yeah, last what? December, last time we won a game at home. Bristol City are flying at the moment. Are you confident? <laughs> now, that's, you know what that's a recipe for, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not in Sunderland's it's, case, no. It's a, it's a recipe for the unexpected. Uh, I am confident that City will, will, will give you a good game, yeah, certainly. And we're not getting any more commitment from you than that, just to say well, it's going to be a good game. I want you to be honest, it, it, Mike, it and just, tell us what uh, you think. 
I mean, you take the last game, we thought we would do well against... We thought we'd win something like 2-1 against Leeds. Most of the pundits were saying that. And yet, after a quarter of an hour, we were 2-0 down. It's just because there was a goal after four minutes, you know, a, de a deflected goal, which changes the match. So you can't really say anything can happen that can change a match. It depends how you deal with it. I, I think we'll get a draw, and I think we've got a good chance of... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wise Men Say, Sun FM Preview Show. With Stradstone Jaguar Land Rover, Houghton Lispring. Visit their temporary servicing home at Doxford Drive, Peter Lee. Thanks very much for Mike coming on there. Had a very... He had a touch of like an old sports broadcaster about him there, Mike, didn't he? When he started um, relaying those goals back to us, you felt like you were there in the moment. <laughs> he described them very well, very authoritative. 70s match voice. of the day. Yes. Oh, it was great, absolutely great to listen to that. Uh, he's not like this dumbed-down generation that we're all a part of. <laughs> People have me broadcasting games now, and I can't pronounce words properly. Um, right, what Mike was talking about there with the Bristol City Supporters Trust, David, links us nicely onto the Red and White Army. I'm sure most, well, certainly our listeners will know of this now. Um, do you want to just remind people what it is? And also, just to clarify or confirm, that we've, the first meeting with Martin Bain has taken place. Yeah, so the, the Red and White Army is a, a month old now. Um, uh, been is that bit, all it is? It's, yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind of a, of a month. Uh, but yeah, so we launched, uh, I think it was something like 21st of September, I think it was. Um and yeah, so we're an independent supporters organisation that is democratically structured. Um, we want our aim is to enter into a structured dialogue with the club, with uh, the ideally with the chief executive and the owner and other decision makers at the club. Uh, and the the first aim really is to set up a bit of a, a rhythm of of meetings and communication, so that we can uh, begin to ask the questions that fans want to ask. Uh, and really that those responses and hopefully actions that come from the, the work that we do with the club. And the first meeting with Martin Bain has now taken place. Now, something we, we, we've said as part of, the, a part of the group, that the, there will be minutes provided, so clear transparency. Naturally, this was a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Martin Bain and the interim chairman, so minutes you, 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 he's not going to go in with his recorder and, and stick that in front of Martin Bain so can we just yeah. let people know because what we're getting is people saying well why wasn't that record, recorded and uh, it's not a good start it's, and stuff like that it's important yeah it's, it's important to understand how uh, that first of all it was is an introductory meeting so this was the, the chairman of the Red and White Army Andrew meeting with the chief executive of Sunderland Football Club to say this is who we are um, 
to understand some of the motivations uh, behind the chief executive and in terms of support or engagement um, to see if we fit the bill really as an organisation. Um, and that's what it was about. It, it's not a type of meeting that we minuted. It's about building up a relationship. It's it's not also a sort of behind closed doors secret meeting. It, it was just there to say, look, this is who I am. Um, have a cup of tea. And to say, this is what, um, to start the process of saying, this is how we, we expect structured dialogue to work. Now, people uh, pick up on this phrase, structured dialogue, as if it's just something that the Red and White Army's made up and keep banging on about, but actually it's not. It's... Um, it was a recommendation made by the Department of Culture and Media Sports Expert Working Group, which in 2015, which kicked into place last season. It's a national thing. The the structured dialogue works on a national level for uh, overall representation of fans, which is something I do in my day job. Uh, but it's also very crucially, it's for supporters groups to be able to liaise with and engage uh, with their club in a meaningful way as well. So we're trying to tap into that, use that, uh, we're trying to have a, as representative and as credible a supporters group as we possibly can. Um, and this season's all about building up a process. Uh, as soon as we get this season out of the way, we'll hold our first AGM, where all the, the officers' roles will be up for election. We have, I think at the last count, about 13 or 14 co-opted representatives. Spread across a, a wide spread range across of groups. Different, and... different groups, different entities, whether it's um, sort of, output through blogs podcasts and fanzines but also then sections of support so atmosphere group disabled group lgbtq um family zone uh that sort of thing so if somebody was to join because it's free to join for any sunderland fan then yep. they can just go online and do that and sign up if they wanted to be heard how could they be heard would they have to attach themselves to one of these represented groups uh they can do uh they can contact us as an individual for the email address um, and they can uh, contact us through social media on Facebook or Twitter um, I'm thinking about if somebody specifically had, I know, I know we touched on this before and said you know Chris Waters is the club liaison officer yeah. and if you have any personal issue that you want to take up the club you should go to him yeah. I'm, ta- I'm just you know I'm, I'm, I'm speculating and I'm generalising here but if, if somebody said this, this is a really big issue that you know isn't being addressed by the club what would their sort of Course yeah. yeah. So um, once, if it works out the way we want it to work with the club, then we'll get into as I, as I described this rhythm of meetings. So if we have a, a meeting set in, uh, let's say, let's say mid December, we the plan will be that we will hold a, a meeting of members in uh, mid November, say, to start a, a discussion around what the agenda item should be. So we'll hold the meeting, we'll be face-to-face with, with membership, but also then we'll canvass opinion from all of the different cooperative reps who we would expect to go out to their different entities, uh, their constituencies, if you like, and bring forward what their priorities are, what they would want bringing up with the club. We'll also canvass opinion through social media, uh, and members can directly sort of email the organisation as well. So we'll take all of that on board, uh, and then after that, the representatives, the cooperative representatives and the... The current officers will take a look at all of those issues, prioritise, uh, and put forward an agenda to the club. Okay, so there is an interim chair and an interim board in place. How were they elected um, in the first place? It was the the, the guys who was in the officers' roles at the moment, uh, basically the people who set the organisation up and have a vision of what they want to achieve with with working with the club through dialogue with the club. So the idea is that. Um, they can be voted out come the end of the season or 
you know voted back in or other people can stand for election um there has been very little but one or two sort of voices saying well hang on you've self-appointed and you've yeah. seen it out through the first season but actually you're talking about maybe two maybe three maximum meetings with a club um in order to just get the process bedded in and i think it's important to have continuity in order to bed that process in by that time we'll have an AG, after that time we'll have an agm people can vote as i said and i think if it all works and i'm you know i'm very hopeful and cautiously optimistic that it will i think in a few years time nobody will look back on that and say that's an un- that was an undemocratic approach it's just given a little bit of time for the people who set the organisation up to try to see through the, the first part of their vision, really. And for anybody who would say, well, how democratic is it? I mean, you mentioned there why, why the how the interim board came about. What about people who would say, well, OK, now you've established the group, you've set them up, you've had your first meeting with Martin Bain, why wouldn't you hold a, an AGM sooner? Because I, I think that's that we haven't really had the first meeting with the club. We've had an introduction so that Martin Bain doesn't know that knows that he isn't going to hopefully be dealing with a, a bunch of lunatics or a group that is just has you know self-interest and is insular, um, and that it isn't just going to be a hand a handful of fans that he's liaising with. It's he's actually liaising with a, a structure, an organisation, and actually thousands and thousands of fans sitting under that. How many members are there so far? We've got, um, I've not looked at it recently actually, but we've got well over 2,000 now uh, and it is growing all the time. And I think as people start to understand what we're about and once we do hopefully get that first meet, proper meeting schedule with the club, I think at that point it'll go from strength to strength as well. But the start's been great. We've had overwhelmingly positive feedback. Um, the, you know, there's a, we're all volunteers. Um, I'm lucky enough in my day job to to work with football fans all the time so I'm, I'm bringing some of that experience to help it along but you've got all the, the rest of the, the people involved are giving up a lot of time putting their heads above the parapet to try to get something going the the very motivation for doing it is not to be insular not to be a closed shop it's for all fans to get involved OK so I would encourage all of our listeners to join up and become a member you don't have to actually do anything just by signing up you're just showing your support absolutely because numbers are important so you don't feel like you're going to be roped into doing something and uh, taking time out of making your kids footy team really bad if, if that's <laughs> if that's something that you enjoy doing on a weekend what we need to think about is what statue we're going to build like mike from the bristol city supporters group said you've got yes. to build a statue that should be first on the agenda and we'll think of the most random player to build a statue of him. Or supporter. Yeah. Not, not that I'm advocating one of me or anything. <laughs> we'll do a Twitter poll <laughs> and, and, and just like, you know, Niren, get Niren Osworthy up there yes. or something like that. That's what'll end up. Yeah. It'll be like the Boaty McBoat face thing, won't it? <laughs> Some really random play. It will be, right. So thanks for updating us on that. And if you are a Sunderland fan and you're listening to the show and you haven't joined yet, please just go and do that. Okay, when we come back, because we have to, because it's a preview show, we're going to speak about the Bristol City game. Wise Men Say, Sun FM Preview Show. With Stradstone Jaguar Land Rover Houghton Lispring. Take a test drive at their Doxford Business Park temporary home. OK, Sunderland play Bristol City on Saturday. Guys, did any of you see their result against Crystal Palace of the night and not think we're in trouble here? I think uh, Chris, um, they were aided significantly by playing against Patrick Van Holt at left back, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, who, who had... Uh, I would I would say a shocker, but it was a performance that I think most Sunderland fans would have recognised. I think they're a team who they've got that kind of young manager. He's got a big ego. It matters to him that his team plays a certain way, dominates the ball, has you know perceived control of the game. 
So hopefully that will play into Sunderland's hands a little bit because that's tend to be when they're at their best. Well, mm. when I say at the yeah. best. <laughs> yeah. Loosely speaking. They, they, seem, they, yeah. seem to, they seem to manage that situation slightly better than the kind of team who we've seen come to the stadium light and say, yeah. OK, yeah, you're yeah. the ball. So and, and, that, and that's been an issue for me, I, I think, Dave, personally, that we're all, we all keep speaking about how good this side look on paper, and it, but it's not even that because I know that's a cliche, but we, we know that these players are better than the league position suggests. However, there are players there or... or when there are players who who are better than their opposition individually, like they have been on many times this season, you do want them to go and take control of the game, take the game by the scruff of their neck. And Grayson clearly isn't that guy. So this might help if this is a, cool, a side who's going to come and try and dominate the ball. Uh, well, I think our players are playing with, with a great deal of fear and lack of confidence, aren't they? Um, regardless of the pedigree or otherwise. And I, and I think that's what's shining through, especially at home, isn't it? Um, it's, it just seems to be that nobody wants the ball or very few players want the ball um, and in fact those that do and those that are decent on it you could argue uh, are the, the Grayson signings really Yeah, that, There's definitely that argue, argument Phil isn't there that people were very supportive or um, very appreciative of what Grayson did with that budget that he had and the players he brought in and as Dave said they are the ones currently who are impressing However, it goes beyond that, what we're seeing at the moment. I think it's, it's a really interesting question because of the players who you say have, have, have nailed down a spot and people would say they should definitely be in the team week in, week out. Most of them probably are the greatest in signings, plus Duncan Watmore, who I think has come in and, and had a big impact. And this was always going to be the challenge with Grayson because we knew that he could get players in who were hungry. We knew he could work with that kind of player who's done at Preston. The big challenge was how is he going to manage these Premier League players who are stepping down to a different division who maybe the motivation isn't quite the same and you'd have to say that a lot of those players he hasn't come close to getting the best out of he hasn't seemed to get them in the right role and that's kind of typified by what we're seeing in centre midfield Catmull and Dong who yeah. who don't seem to know what their role is they seem caught in games between whether they should be shielded and whether they should be going box to box and, and they're not really kind of performing with, with any any level and, and just giving the ball away so often I think that's kind of mirrored a, a lot over the pitches that the players have dropped down are just they just not seem to be able to make that He made a suggestion to you guys, Grayson, didn't he, before the Brentford game that he would maybe look at that midfield partnership for home games? He did, but I think the the the, the suggestion that I certainly took from reading between the lines was that Johnny Williams was the man yeah. to break that up. Johnny Williams probably won't start on Saturday, I don't think, because he's he's not trained in the early part of the week. Um, this is the problem with Johnny Williams. He's been the problem all his career. He hasn't been able to put a convincing run of games together he, he very strongly yeah, suggested that come these two home games that axis of Cat Mullen and Dong is something he would look at changing whether the injury to Williams has changed that I'm, I'm not quite sure because you've got you've got to look at the level that those two guys Cat Mullen and Dong are performing at and you think well he's chopped and changed every other area of the field without really worrying about it so what does that say about your Darren Gibsons and your Jack mm. Rodwells that he's we not do have one fit person, to change it um, Twitter handle just to depress us all, is Hart, Kino, Hart, Allardyce, which I think we can all relate to that. Um, and they say cuts out Gibson in. Listen, I, you know, it's it's a fair comment in the sense that we haven't seen a lot from Darren Gibson. Um, but from what I have seen from Darren Gibson, he hasn't, he doesn't look like a player who's going to make that difference And that I haven't seen Darren Gibson in the Sunderland share take control of the ball, make good forward passes. I've seen him play some sideways passes um, in that sense, but I, I don't see him as someone like Williams would. Um, as someone who'll get the ball, he'll be brave, he'll come deep, he'll go past yeah. players. He just, from what I've seen in the Sunderland shirt, he just hasn't shown. He's not going to move around the field as much as he. 
I think the cut them all we've seen this season, I would agree with cut them all out at the moment. I think if, if Williams, because as Gary Wood says here, this is a very popular trio that people are suggesting. When because I asked on Twitter how people would change it. Um, Reuter, out, uh, Reuter in for Steele, Williams in for Catamol, McManaman in for Honeyman. And that is by far and away the most popular feedback we've had. Oh, if, if possible, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind, move McGeady in field. So yeah. that takes away the anxiety I think he has about McGeady's defensive work. What more and McManaman are very attacking, but I think they'll come back the other way. We've so seen we, enough if, from them. To if we're all saying that, because that's a team we, we, we spoke at the beginning of the week on, on the podcast, and that's the team we all come up with. So why this is one of the frustrating things as a fan, isn't it? When now we don't see what the manager sees on the training ground every week, but when he's seen something on the training ground and taken in a weekend game, it's not working. Whatever he's trying to take from that, so that's a most frustrating thing, isn't it, as a fan? Absolutely. And as for why he hasn't played that team, as for why McManaman didn't play last week, I mean, all all you can say is that obviously he's very fond of George Honeyman. He obviously he likes him. He obviously thinks he gives him that discipline, stability. Sunderland's favourite word that uh, Grayson used to describe when he obviously likes things that gives him a nice balance with McGeady but we've probably reached the stage where you say well actually maybe maybe we should be worrying less about balance and, and, and more about going and winning the game at all well that, I think that I, I wonder if that it, that is what's sort of preventing him from going with that that, that new trio because I, I think it's quite attacking isn't it and the fact is we're still being shipping goals we've been scoring goals anyway but we're still shipping goals and I think the there would naturally be then a fear to to take out a defensive player and put a more attack minded in like McManaman who possibly wouldn't track back as much. But there is an argument to say that isn't working anyway, so let let's get on the front foot. Well the the, the strongest argument is actually that the players that you would describe as defensive minded, say Catan Wendong, aren't actually giving you much protection at all. And we saw that at Brentford True. giving the ball away in bad areas, not really being able to stop the counter attack. So it's okay saying, Okay, we'll play these players to give us that um, that kind of strength, but if they're not giving you that, then you know, switch them out and get an attacking player and go with it that way. Daniel Shellard, Michael Napier, and others all mentioning McNair. Is he close? Is he ready? I don't think he'll start. Um, I think he'll be in the squad on Saturday. Um, I would have thought he'd maybe come off get half an hour. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised with the view of the Bolton game. Um, I certainly don't see him starting. If you think he's had the same injury as Duncan Watmore, so if you think about how Duncan Watmore came back into the team, he had three reserve games. Then he came on for about half an hour and then he started. McNair's played his three reserve games. Mm. So I would expect him to sort of come into the squad and, and come off the bench. Alex B. Campbell, Reuter in. Again, a very popular one. Cats out, McManaman in. Um, Jones out, Matthews in, which is another one that people are suggesting. Because um, he, he was doing all right, Matthews, wasn't he? But before, he didn't play very well in the last home game. He was doing all right. There were suggestions that he was injured at half time for that QPR game. I don't yeah. know whether that was to offer him a bit of protection after what happened in the second half, but I did just wonder if that was the reason why he didn't start at Brentford. I think Adam Matthews has been has been all right at right back. Um, I think he's probably offered a slightly better protection than Billy Jones. Mm. So if, if Matthews was fit, I, I would Certainly go Certainly better going well. forward as well. Uh, Alex also mentions that we should leave Vaughan at home to avoid the temptation. <laughs> uh, seems a bit harsh. harsh. Uh, Richie Kemp, um, steal out, cuts out, cornea out, uh, replaced by a newspaper, an empty bottle and a TV remote. Can't argue with that. No. Um, I mean, just moving on from team selections and stuff now, because it does show that everybody has has a similar idea, don't they, of, uh, of who they want in the side. McManaman would certainly feature if he's fit. Williams would certainly feature if he's fit. McNair would certainly feature if he's fit. Those guys aren't fit. It's going to be interesting to see that. We're, we're just waiting waiting for the team news to come in and he's going three at the back again or something. You can almost guarantee it. Do you think 
uh, Simon Grayson is under pressure this game, um, Phil, because if Bristol City come here, turn us over, it's a, yet another game at home without a win, and then we have Bolton. I would be, I, I personally, my instinct is that Simon Grayson would be in charge till Middlesbrough, whatever happens. I, I'd be so, surprised. So, so if, if, if Sunderland lose the weekend, and then they can't beat Bolton, who are the only team worse than us this season, you think it'll still be in a job? I think they'd potentially say the international break is a better time to make a change. But I, I do think that, whereas last year there was this moist stays, whatever mentality, wasn't there? Um, I think there's been a change this season because it obviously is such a different set of circumstances. Because ultimately you've got a chief executive who's talked about competing for a playoff spot and who said, you know what, I think we had a good window, I think we've got a good squad, we've signed good players. So once you start to reach the point where you can't compete for the playoffs, where that's you can't say anymore, well, if we go on a good run, which I would argue that if you don't get results from the next three games, you have reached the point where you, you could you would say, well, I don't think that's possible. And there's a decision to be made there, isn't there? So I think he's definitely under pressure in that What sense. do you think, Dave? It's, uh, it's all about these two games, isn't it, I think? Um, because I know, sorry, I know you, you're, what you're saying, Phil, about an international break, and that, that seems to be a time, a time when people do it, but that shouldn't make a difference in my eyes, Dave. I, I think there's a there's a, a number of Sunderland fans who would, if you ask them now, should, should we sack Grayson now, would say no. But I think if we don't get a win out of these next two games, I think that would be the tipping point. It certainly would for me personally. It would be very, 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 very difficult for him to survive if we get the end of the Bolton game. And, and then, you, and then you've got Borough, haven't you? And, and that's the last thing. You, you, that's the last game you, you want your players going into in, in a frame of mind where because it would be fair to question that he, that the players aren't playing from after that because that the only alternative to that. Is they aren't they just simply aren't good enough? Well, the alternative is that he, he doesn't know how to use them, rather than maybe they're not playing for him. He's not setting them up yeah. in a way. But once you'd reached that point, you're absolutely right. You would say, well, yeah, I think you've had more than enough time to show that you should, that you should know how to it's, use them and how to set them up. If we're calling it a deterioration, it's a different deterioration to what we've been used to. Where you know you see where the the managers lost the dressing room, which has happened in in previous uh, managers at Sunderland. And I, and I think that isn't the case. I think they are. They do feel like they're working for him and putting a shift in most of them. Uh, but it's about shape and it's about um, knowing his best eleven, which is what we've been saying for a while now. He doesn't seem to know that still. Okay. Well, he was at the fan fest, of course, this um, early this week, and Son of them did catch up with him. Of course, it, it frustrates me. I think that's a, the word that I'll use because, um, in terms of our perspective, we're doing everything that we're trying to do to get make this this uh, city and this football club proud again of what uh, of what they want out there on the on the grass we want to make sure that uh, uh, we we don't get really despondent I think there's a real positive attitude amongst the, uh, the training ground with the players and, and some of the parts of the performances that will go a long way to ultimately being a more positive place for the longer term of it in 6 months, 12 months and then 3, 4 years, 5 years or whatever and, and get back to where it was um, when there was a real buzz about the place because when when it's um, when you were one club city like Sunderland is it's it can make or break people's week, weekends, um, despondency to, to elation if you're winning matches and uh, at this morning in time we're, uh, with the, we're in the disappointment area of uh, losing games but we know that that can change very quickly. It can change very quickly and it needs to change very quickly Simon. Is anybody confident for the weekend before we go? No. <laughs> no. No. Great players to go out. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Wise Men Say, Sun FM Preview Show. With Stradstone Jaguar Land Rover, Houghton Lispring. Visit their temporary servicing home at Doxford Drive, Peter Lee.
when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.